From in the beginning to the musical apocalypse, this is The Bible Says What? I'm your host, Mike Wiseman. The Bible is full of stories about the Christian deity slaughtering people for silly reasons. Remember that one time in Acts 5 when Ananias and Sapphira were struck down by Yahweh for stealing from him? Or how about when Yahweh killed Onan in Genesis 38 after the dude spilled his semen onto the floor instead of his brother's widow? Yahweh kills for the most ridiculous reasons. Take the tent of meeting, for example. This was Yahweh's special place, and it had special rules. According to Leviticus 10, the merciful Christian deity loses his shit when someone doesn't follow the rules of the tent. If the priests burned the wrong fire, Yahweh felt it best to burn them alive. Later, if the priests mourned the burning of their priest family by ripping their clothes, the Christian deity would kill them and become angry with the whole village. In verse 7, Yahweh declares death upon anyone who leaves the tent of meeting with anointing oil on their heads. The list of irrational killings by the loving Christian deity goes on and on. Christians will ignore or set aside the ridiculous and focus on their favorite parts. Some will sit these senseless killings into an I don't know or I don't understand pile. Unfortunately, they still ignore these absurd stories when they're considering the big picture. Let's start the show. Is there anything in the Bible that you yourself have an issue with? <laughs> Okay, so it took you reading the Bible to realize that those things were bad for you? Yeah, it actually did. I, I didn't figure this out on your own? No, Ted, Ted Bundy could be redeemed. God doesn't kill children. Does, what, what do you think the Passover was? Yahweh sets up a whole system in the Old Testament where you slaughter animals just so he's able to forgive you. Today's special guest is author, psychotherapist, and trauma recovery specialist, Joanne Samuels Dennis. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's great to be with you. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for coming on. So tell us a little bit about what you do. So I'm a trauma recovery specialist, and in general, I help people to overcome those patterns that were embedded in some of the most challenging moments that they've had. Most of us don't know that there are patterns of thought, in particular negative thoughts, and then that there are patterns of beliefs, particularly false beliefs and negative beliefs. And then that there are actual body memories that we hold that's connected to our most traumatic experiences. So when we talk about wanting to do that thing, but not being able to do it, like Paul talks about, oftentimes it's those particular patterns that trap us in certain behaviors so that we don't actually go to the places where we want to go. So I help people see their traumas from a slightly different perspective, from a transformational perspective. I help them to see all of those patterns that are embedded in those particular moments. And then from there, I help them to overcome those patterns. God, well, thank you for that. Uh, can you um, give us an example of a, of a pattern? Yeah, so for example, um, if a child uh, experiences a moment where parents come up, have a conversation, and the conversation is, you know what, we're getting a divorce. Uh, 
some people in that moment, uh, it becomes traumatic. And for some of us, we might think, you know, sometimes our parents fighting, maybe it should end in divorce. So some of us will cope differently in that moment. It doesn't have to be traumatic for everyone. But for the person for whom it is traumatic, there's a number of things that could happen. So in that moment, if it does become traumatic, the moment becomes overwhelming. It feels like you're being punished. It feels overwhelming and that it feels like you're panicking or that you're extremely afraid. In that moment, there are a number of negative images that we form about ourselves. So did I contribute to this in some way, shape or form? Hmm. You know, it's about other people, including our mother and our father. So are they abandoning me? Are they abandoning in our family structure? Does my life alter permanently because of this moment in time? And then some decisions. Am I going to try and stop this? Am I going to go with it? Am I going to, you know, create some kind of rebellion kind of behavior because this is happening and I feel punished and this should not be happening? So we engage in some of those um, hmm. activities and and then it continues so that until we heal that moment in time, until we actually go back, see it as a traumatic moment, forgive what needs to be forgiven, and then alter our thoughts and our beliefs and even our behaviors, then nothing shifts. And we actually go through this pattern of cycling through what looks like the same event over and over. So someone separating mm -hmm. or two people separating from us, uh, it continues at a, as a cycle and a pattern until we are able to go back and forgive it. Gotcha. So forgiveness in that instance. Um, so for let's let's stick with that. That the kids going through the whole thing, and the, and then the parents are separating. So does the does the kid forgive the parents or himself or or who's he? I mean, how's that work? Yeah. So eventually, the you know, depending on how long this pattern goes on for. So, you know, you've heard of the 40 years in the wilderness, you know, some of us can do this in 40 days, but most of us take 40 years to actually <laughs> overcome those traumatic moments, right? So, so the desert can look like going through the same cycle over and over and over and over again. So something has happened to somebody by age seven, and I'm seeing them at age 47, right? And I kid you not, that's the pattern. Hmm. So as uh, as we go back into that moment from say an adult stage, we go back into that moment, we're first attending to the child, not so much to forgive, but to heal. Hmm. And the way we can heal ourselves is by beginning to speak to that younger child and beginning to ask the question, this is the pivotal question, of the younger child, because we all have an inner voice and a child voice. And so when we actually uh, put an identity to that and we actually begin to ask certain questions like, what did you need in that moment? And mm. you don't make it up. You don't make it up, Michael. You actually just sit still. You ask that younger version of yourself, what did you need? And that younger version will then respond to you. And mm. so as you have an awareness of what it is that you needed from that younger voice versus the adult voice, then you can begin to offer that younger version of yourself some real compassionate words. You know, you can begin to see, I understand, I know what it was that you needed. And I offer you that now. So in most cases, our younger self is wanting to feel loved. Our younger self is wanting to feel like we belong, like we are valuable. Um, all of those um, great needs that many of us have um, is was spoken about by a guy named Abraham Maslow, who was a great psychologist a long mm. time ago. But his hierarchy of needs is really, it's suggesting that we have these seven different 
core needs. And, you know, of course we want to survive and we want to be protected, but most of us have this need to belong. And so yeah. we give the younger child, whatever the younger child needs, and then we pay attention to the people that that younger child was wounded by. So we attend to the younger self first, then we do a forgiveness of the people who actually caused the pain. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, a little off the deep end here, but any more like trauma associated with more intense things um, as far as I'm just going to yeah. throw it out there, sexual abuse as a kid. Um, do you do you do you teach them to forgive the person who did the abusing or do you just how does that work for you? Yeah, the only way we heal is through forgiveness. Hmm. So, you know, forgiveness is about it's about letting go. Right. So it's about releasing it's about recognizing that the wrong has been made, but then making the decision that if I stay here in this place, I'm trapping myself in prison. So uh, forgiveness is literally in the Greek. It means mm. the second way to, you know, to actually release whatever is owed. So it's not in the sense, the same sense that, you know, typically people think about, well, I'm making this right in some way, shape or form. No, the forgiveness is really about the release of the patterns that even a sexual abuse survivor would have embedded in their story. And unless they go back and forgive it and consciously remember mm. what negative beliefs were formed in this moment that are working against me right now, what false and negative thoughts did I form in that moment? And how are they operating against me right now? And then what bodily sensations do I have that either lead me into temptation or stagnate me in my relationships or even prevent me from being able to have sex and enjoy it? So what are all of those things that are present because of that moment? How do I now release myself from them so that I can begin to live the good life? Mm. I'm not so sure how I feel about that forgiveness of that person, but that's, that's probably not very scientific or helpful of me. Um, I, 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 forgiveness comes with blood on your hands as far as that is concerned, but that's, that's, a whole, <laughs> that's a whole different topic. Um, I did want to kind yeah. of dive into a little bit about, um, randomly when I, when I, when I saw your stuff, De Deuteronomy 21 came up and I thought, yeah. well, that's that talk about a trauma recovery situation. Um, yeah, just going to kind of go off of it here. Uh, uh, when you go to war against your enemies and the Lord, your God delivers them into your hands and you take captives. If you notice among the captives, a beautiful woman and are attracted to her, you may take her as your wife, bring her into your home and you and her she shall shave her head, trim her nails, which is a weird thing. Trim her nails, um, bring her <laughs> and put aside the clothes she's wearing when captured. She's to live in your house, mourn her father and mother for a full month. And then you are to take her as your wife, essentially. And oh, to me, yeah. I would think that would be a pretty traumatic situation for the woman. I think at that point, she would probably need some trauma recovery. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I believe she would. I believe she would. So your captor is now going to make you their own, yeah. uh, going to move you through whatever purification they deem as purification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then make you their wife essentially right yeah yeah, yeah. traumatic so Very why did traumatic. you think about <laughs> <laughs> so scary. what made you think about deuteronomy 21 when you read my stuff what well made that... it, 
it was the trauma recovery. It just reminded me of what 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 would be so traumatic in the Bible you would need recovery. A lot of things came to mind, but Deuteronomy <laughs> twenty one specifically stuck out to me. So I was very curious. So in light of this, I, I'm very curious how or how you take the Bible. What is the Bible to you? So the Bible to me is very much a timeline, right? Mm-hmm. The Bible to me is very much about um, these historical moments of transformation. Um, these pivotal moments of change. Uh, So moving from kind of like an outward, the law is outward of us to the final stages when Christ dies and the Holy Spirit then occupies us Hmm. as the tent. So these transformation periods are what I see in the Bible and these beautiful timelines that even as we go through, there's a messianic perspective that I follow. So each uh, Saturday, I kind of own that as my Sabbath and Hmm. I move through those readings. And um, so I find that the time of those readings are so precise that even what's happening in my life uh, is reflected in those readings. And I don't often see that um, in, say, the Sunday churches or whatever the case may be. So, but that's how I see the Bible. Gotcha. So this verse in particular, um, so yeah. what, I, what I read is that these are Yahweh-enforced rules. They are perfect, righteous, yes. holy, and good. He, he says it several places that these rules are holy, yes. perfect, righteous, and good. So Yes. He's causing a traumatic situation for women. <laughs> and I don't see how this is perfect, holy, righteous, and good. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, as I read the Old Testament, um, I'm very much aware that there are there are a people that are set aside by God. So we know the Israelites are set aside by God, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that they're chosen for no other reason that God, than God has chosen them. But then we also know that what happens is that there is a number of other people that are always distracting them from their relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So what we see over and over and over again, especially in the Old Testament, is that each of the fights or the wars that the Israelites go into, it's with a people who have women that usually, um, as they join together with the Israelites, they take them away from their relationship with God, right? Over and over and over again, you see this pattern, right? So the only way that the Israelites operate against God, and typically this is, you know, it, it goes against them, is typically they marry into another race that they have conquered. Mm. And the women from that race bring forward their gods. And then the Israelites eventually turn away from their gods because mm. the women are able to infiltrate their thinking in that kind of way. So what, I, what I'm reading here is a slightly different uh, interpretation uh, than the, the traumatic moment. It's really a purification. Here's how you purify. If you see someone, if you are attracted to them, even after you've gone to war and occupied their territory, this is how you purify them. This is how you bring them into uh, your home. This is what is required in order for that to look good to God. So that's kind of how I perceive that. But if you're thinking about you know, other traumatic moments. And and I think there are some, you know, some really severe traumatic moments that are in the Bible. 
it, it always requires um, that sacrifice, always requires giving up something. And so the way that I think about forgiveness and you know how it links to this and the ways in which we recover is to recognize that there is a sacrifice that most of us have to make uh, about the life experiences that we've had. Like it is a sacrifice to forgive. It is a sacrifice to stand in a place where you forgive and then there is no reconciliation, right? Like it's an icky feeling. So as we as we move through, we have to recognize that daily as we are forgiving, we are we are sacrificing. We are making a sacrifice. And that is a fragrance that goes up to our God. So <clears throat> thank you. Appreciate that. So in this in this scenario with the women, do you think they should just they're sacrificing their old life is what, what you're saying here? So they yeah, sacrifice the their mother, life, their father, right. their brothers, their sisters, their friends, their dog, their their donkey, all of that just They're so they can up everything. They had to give all that up and become a husband yeah. and forced to become a husband for or a wife, sorry, to 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 a husband who killed all those people. I, I just don't see it. I see it as a traumatic experience that doesn't need to happen. Um Yeah. I mean, if we go yeah. to the Amalekites, you remember the Amalekites? Yes. Yeah. What, what in that scenario, Yahweh wants you to kill or wanted them to kill even the kids. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. So yeah, they killed everybody except the virgin, except the virgins. Keep right? them for yourself. Yeah. That's so, so gross. And, and <laughs> <laughs> That's like such a I nasty think, thing to think about. Like what I think disgusting old men. <laughs> I think what yeah. we also have to think about is the symbolism, right? A lot of times. When I read the Bible, mm. I read the symbolism um, a little bit differently than most people, right? Because what we often don't recognize is that we are the Israelites, but we are also the Amalekites and, you know, the Midianites and the Canaanites. Like, there's just people amongst us that fit into all of those tribal ways of being. And one of the things that God is constantly sending as a message is, I am your God right? I am your God. Remember that I am your God. But what, what needs to happen is to recognize that there are certain people that if you go into their territory and start living the way that they live, you will just constantly go away from your God. So in the, in the killing of the Amalekites and all of those, it was essentially we're going to rid ourselves of the history that is connected with serving other gods so that the relationship with God, but think it about it. It didn't work out very well though, that, that we still have the history of them. We still know about because, them. Exactly. Because we're still here as a human, as a human being, and we're constantly experiencing people who represent the Canaanites, the Amalekites. And the whole point is that as we go through our journey in this life, this really is a purification process, right? So if the Canaanites might represent something like an addiction, if the Canaanites might represent uh, some kind of belief that causes you to rebel against God, all of that must be purged. It must literally be struck down. It must literally be killed. So it, it it's no longer about killing other people. It's about death to self. It's about death to the parts of ourselves that would embrace those things that would separate us from our God. That's kind of how I read the Bible. Because yes, it is a historical story, but it's also symbolic in a lot of ways. And that's the only way you can read it today and apply it to your life. It's the symbolism of it. <laughs> Michael's like, no, 
Joan. I just don't believe that. Joanne, I don't know, man. I don't know. The symbolism that I see from the Amalekites and that, that, that scary story about having to be forced to marry and sleep with the guy who killed your entire family. I don't, I don't see the symbolism any good, no good symbolism there. I mean, you can try and pick it apart and like, you know, like you said, with the, with the, uh, you know, the sacrifice and whatnot, but why do we have to have that sacrifice? Why do those children have to die? Cannot they, can the Israelites not adopt the kids and be like, Hey, now you're going to be Jewish. I mean, why, why slaughter all no. the children? So the way that I think about it, um, you know, is if you are going to be a pure nation, right? If you are going to be that nation that does serve God, remember the entire Bible is about faith. This entire existence that we live, the entirety of the journey is about growing in faith, hmm. right? So if the entirety of the journey is about growing in faith, then for those people that would halt your faith, that would put you into a space of rebellion, that would stop you from growing in your relationship with God. Those people need to ultimately go away. Or and, die. And, yeah. And the parts of you that would you, give into that also need to die. So do you think it, that the people deserve to die or the idea needs to die? It's always the idea, okay. right? But in this it. instant, though, it was the people. The people had to die in this instant. Not yeah, the idea. Yeah. So God's trying to wipe out the people, but the idea still remains, even after he wiped out the people. Of course, right? This was always the problem with the Israelites, and it's a problem with humanity. The ideas always remain, right? right. So and why wipe out the people? Well, that's why it ended, right? That's why we don't wipe people out anymore. You God, know? God did, though. He, he demanded yeah. and commanded it. He even flooded the earth. I mean, there's all kinds of places where he just wipes out the people instead of changing hearts and minds. Yes, Michael, there's plenty of places, but then you can't just live in the Old Testament, right? You have to the New Testament as well. He's going to, well, let's go for, uh, I mean, hell. Hell is a thing for eternity for people who sin, who don't love him, who don't believe in him. What, what happened to changing hearts and minds? Why, why are we torturing people forever at this point? That doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> I think we have a choice there, though, Michael, you know, and that's the point, like it's choice right to the very end. And, you know, Christ is there. And if it, just like that snake was put up, and if you were bit by the snake, you could look at the, the snake that was hanging in the air. And if you had faith enough to believe that that snake would save you, you were saved. So it's the same with Christ. But there are some people who, to the very end, Michael, do not choose Christ. They just don't. And, and so... <laughs> I mean, I've yet to see the guy. He's yet to come to my birthday party. You know, <laughs> it's kind of hard to believe in invisible people, Joanne. That's my problem. One of my many problems. Right. And, and, and that's the challenge, Michael, is that the by belief, that's how Holy Spirit comes in or your spirit is activated. That's the belief, right? What about Saul? Saul? What about yeah. Saul? He had that road to Damascus moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he didn't believe. He persecuted. He hated. And then Jesus showed up for him, saved him. He still hasn't shown up for me or millions of other people. <laughs> I mean, why Saul? Why not everybody else? Why not just show up? Hey, guess what? I'm real. I'm I'm really real. I do love you. I will send you to hell forever, yeah. but I, I love you. <laughs> I mean, it would be nice I, to I have don't... that face to face, you know? 
I think there's a place where we all have the face-to-face, Michael. Hmm. Um, but we have to be willing to go in, right? Now, so see, I've heard that same thing for Kali Ma. Kali Ma is a Hindu goddess. And I've heard yeah. if you're in the quiet zone and you meditate and you listen and you're 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 yeah. brush the world aside and you just focus on her, she'll reveal herself to you. Yeah. It's the same thing with Jesus, apparently. <laughs> and it never happens. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing ever happens. You sit in that quiet area. The only thing that happens is the kids get loud. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's all quiet. Let's, get, let's start yelling like pterodactyls. Here, here's what I'm going to suggest. Gotcha. Here's what I'm going to suggest. There is, there is a spirit within each of us that needs to be activated. And I think that's activated when we move through a forgiveness process. Hmm. Um, I have a lot of people in churches that mm. never experience God, never experience Christ, never see him, never hear, uh, never visualize, like they just don't have that experience. Then mm. they come, they see me and they move through uh, a journey of healing um, those most traumatic moments. And as they heal those yeah. most traumatic moments, the veil, as they say, lifts and you are able to see, you're able to experience. Um, I had- it's the same thing with Kali Ma. I'm, I'm Joanne. I'm sorry, but it's the same thing. Like these Hindu goddess, the same thing. I hear it from people. We I, I, there's pages and pages of testimonies on how how she's healed them, how she's she's saved them, she's helped them sleep, she's helped helped them get past difficult moments in life. I mean, it's the same thing. So how can we tell the difference between one invisible being and the other? How do we know it's your particular invisible being? Yeah, you know what? I I sent out a meditation the other day to my clients, and then I shared it with somebody who wasn't a client, but um, just mm. wanted to share it with her. And I used the word spirit uh, instead of Holy Spirit. And the person called me out on it and said, you know, well, who's this spirit? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> and, and I said, well, I don't, I don't know what spirit you're praying to, but, you know, this is it. <laughs> I think we can pray to different spirits and different uh-huh. ones will arise. I mean, faith is a is an important thing here. And so I think as as we have faith in any one thing, then that's the thing that comes. Huh. Right. So, so but okay. the journey is about faith, right? The journey is about faith. Well, I mean, what if I have faith that the spirit of George Carlin is is helping me out for the day or 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 irritating the people around me because that's more like what George Carlin would do. So I mean <laughs> just like like i'm invoking that particular spirit can we do that can we invoke spirits of dead celebrities yes holy cow how do you know though i think there's a lot that we can invoke and michael you'd be amazed at the imaginations that people have no i know i've I've seen it i've heard it That make them create things, you know, and one of the things that I will say, even now to those Mm. people who come and they see me, and you know, they're Christians, and I go, you know what, the powers of darkness, the principalities, you know, all of these things, guess what, we're it, you know, guess, guess what, the darkness is here, right? (laughs) Those powers of darkness, it's here, it's in our thoughts. And it's, Mm. it's amazing, the thing that we do to one another. Mm. Um, 
and and the principalities that are over us are really like one of the things that I learned very early on in this process is if you go into a territory and you look at what the people are predominantly experiencing. So, for example, alcoholism, homelessness, you know, uh, prostitution. If, if you Vegas. go into those territories and you begin to see what's there, you will also see the mindset of the people and the ways in which they come together, they're of one mind. That's why they're there in that particular community, right? You'll often see homeless people, they're crooked when they walk. And I always ask the question, why are they so crooked? What is the crookedness about? You know, you begin to notice all of these things and you go, okay. I haven't you know. noticed too many crooked homeless people. <laughs> I live in I Vegas. Notice. I see a lot of homeless people, but I <laughs> I can say the ratio to crooked to straight. I, just, <laughs> I don't know. I just been asking the question. I'm gonna start writing this down. Says, yeah, you know. So it's like, what is that about? Start observing, right, mm. and asking the question. Okay, what is in the people? Because it's really the hearts of the people that manifest certain things, right? So when mm. you think about the spirits of darkness that are with us, the principalities that are over us, it's really like, what is in us that creates the things that come? And the other thing um, for, for people who typically can't go in um, and who can't connect with God, they usually have um, a father figure who has oppressed them, punished them in some way, shape or form. And mm -hmm. so it's hard, it's hard for them to go in. And so when they, when they actually do the forgiveness of their fathers, what they release and what they open up to is, well, as we forgive, it doesn't really matter who we forgive. What we're doing is we're releasing all of that stuff that has kept us in kind of a numb state so that we can't spiritually experience certain things. So, so forgiveness, we, we keep bringing this up. I'd like to touch on that. So Yahweh, does, <laughs> does Yahweh forgive people? Does he completely forgive and forget? Because what I see in the Bible is a little bit different than what most people believe about forgiveness what do you think well the very essence of christ is is what that means is that um that i think of christ as the word of god's heart right okay. i think of him as a human manifested that was basically offering mercy grace all of these wonderful things and showing us as a humanity Here's, here's the pathway to health and well-being, forgiveness. But not only that, here's the pathway to actually reconciliation, not just with God, but reconciliation with self, reconciliation with others, right? So once we begin to walk that particular path, it opens up a whole bunch of other things. You'd have to try it. It's not something that I could rationally explain to you. It's not something that, because most people, I try to tell them what forgiveness is and they don't fully grasp it. And then I walk them through a session and they're like, whoa, oh, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, when I think of forgiveness, I think, you know, forgive and forget. You know, I, I've addressed the situation. It hurt. It sucked. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to move it aside. I'm never going to bring it up again. That's forgive and forget to me. That's no. how it works for me. It's not how no, it works for you. Not, that's not how it works. No, it's about consciously remembering. It's about I, let's go back. Let's take a look at this moment in time. Let's ask four questions. Here's the four questions. When you look at the moments that hurt you the most, right? We're always looking for love in that moment. We're always looking for love. Humans are always looking for love. Love, exactly. acceptance. It's, it's yeah. image, right? It's the image of love that we're looking for. So when we go back into that moment, the first question I ask is, what did you want? You know, what did you want? And when you begin to answer that question about a specific moment, mm -hmm. right? 
Then you begin to tell me, oh, I wanted this particular thing. I wanted that particular thing. Let's go back to the example of the child whose parents are divorcing. Child mm-hmm. want, right? Child wants connection. But child wants security in a family structure that has been. Child wants to know that they are safe, that they will always have both parents, right? So okay. what happens instead of that? What happens? So parents can split up. It happens. And mm. some people should, right? Yeah. But instead, <laughs> instead of having that security, that sense of I am, I am secure no matter if my parents are separated or apart, what we can have instead is there then begins a war between those parents. And so there's the exposure to the war. Then um, what does that war look like? Well, it can look like gossiping about one another. It can yeah. look like forcing the child to choose. Yeah. It can look like neglect of the child. It can look like abuse. It can look like the child goes into a new circumstance with new parents and some of those parents are abusive themselves or mm-hmm. they don't give the child a sense of belonging. So what happens? So you're going to focus on the what did I want and then what did I get instead? What did I want is answering the question, what does love look like? If love were going to show up in this moment, what would love look like for you, right? But as you answer that question, it is filling in part of a puzzle. So consider a globe, consider the globe with parts of puzzles. And every forgiveness that you do is answering the question, what does love look like for me? So as you continue to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, you form the shape of this world that examines how you perceive love. And once you can move just past your own experiences to then looking at not just what do you perceive as love, but what does love look like when you're living in a family? What does love look like when you're living in a community? What does love look like when you're living in a country? What does love look like when you're a part of a nation? What does love look like when you're part of humanity? What does love look like when you're male? What does it look like when you're female? So as you examine all of those parts, you have to consciously remember, you must remember, what did I want? What did love look like? Then here's the next thing. You must remember what you feared. What happens instead is what you feared. Separation, disconnection, neglect, abuse, whatever that looks like. That's now what I fear. And I have a response to that that is an emotional response, Uh right? So that then forms how I feel when I encounter those triggers. If you don't forgive, you'll encounter those triggers over and over. I kid you not, over and over again for 40 years until you go back and forgive that moment. But once you forgive it, you're going to consciously remember what caused me to become afraid. You then have to step over your fear and make a decision. I will be fearless. My life will be fearless. I will not be afraid. And so, you know, when I talked about 490, Forgive and Live Fearlessly, that's my book. Uh, When I talk about Forgive and Live Fearlessly, it's literally 490 times you forgive. You form that globe about what it is that you love and what love looks like for you. You bring people into your life you simply attract them into your life because you now have a conscious awareness of who you are, what love looks like for you. But if you remain in a state of fear, that's all you attract. That's yeah. all that well, comes away. I want to go back to that for sure. So all of that forgiveness will help, blah, 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 blah. Love it. Thank you very much. Um, but why would we want to yeah. live in that moment and just remember that 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 trauma and, and, and we need to do this because well, I like this, I like that. Why can't we just write down something that we like? This is what we need and, <laughs> and, and forgive and forget that moment instead of having to relive that moment all the time. That's, 
You know, that's the most excellent question. I think we like to think that we're more complex than we are. And I'd like you to think about us as simply robots, like oh. literally robots with a code, oh. right? I'd like you to think about the fact that each of the traumatic moments that we experience, and there's always three that each of us experience, three oh. really important ones. And so each of those traumatic moments are then coding subconscious. Subconscious mind just receives the code and carries out the code. It does not judge the code. It doesn't care what you want. It does not analyze anything that you think is more complex. Subconscious mind just has a code by which it operates. So if you dump into the subconscious mind at age six, five, seven, 10, 13, 15, 21, you could even be 36 and get raped. And as you experience that traumatic moment, that code goes in and that code is, what do I love? What do I fear? How do I feel? How's this going to show up in my body every single day? And that's what plays itself out. Nothing else. So unless you purify the subconscious mind from that code and ease yourself from all that is present there and bring the awareness to a conscious level, you don't get to make any new decisions, Michael. It just doesn't happen that way. We're not that complicated. We are very simple robotic beings. And I know we like to think that we're more than that, but we're not, Michael. Mm. This life is about one thing. It's about a transformation journey into a space where we recognize we have control. We can actually power the subconscious mind. And there's a very simple way that we do that. And that's through a forgiveness process that raises our conscious awareness. So we're not able to, is what you're saying. Not unless you consciously progress through it. Yeah. And are we able to do that? We are. So wouldn't that be more it's, beneficial? Yes. but Yes, it's, there it is. It's, it's, it's work. <laughs> it's work, Michael. Yeah, it's of course. Work. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So to healing work is work, you know, mm. and I get some of the clients who come and they want me to own their process, you know, mm. cause I'm pretty good at what I do. And so they want me to own their process. They leave feeling pretty good at the end of every session, you know, <laughs> but after they leave, I give them some assignments and guess what? The people who believe they're more complex and, you know, like you just, yeah, this just works by itself. It's like, wake up. No, this is a conscious recoding exercise that every human has to go through. You don't get to bypass this. You don't get to say I'm special and that I don't need to forgive my three moments. No, you go back and you forgive your three moments. You get rid of the code. You implant some new code, which is like nice. That's when you can say yeah. all your needs. And then you can you can move forward. But if you try to implant your needs, affirmations, you know, law of attraction, if you try to put all of that in and you still have the corrupted code in there, do you think you're gonna override it? Mm. Just give that up. Let me set you free right now. Give up the idea. <laughs> give up the idea that you can possibly override by just putting positive stuff in. No, it's you gotta mm. do the work. You gotta, you know, take out all the mucky, gucky stuff, and then you gotta release it, and then you can implant all the things that you want, Michael, and you will be successful every single time. God, well, thank you. <laughs> I'd like to be successful. That'd be nice. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Not too successful, just enough, just enough to keep me going for sure. Yes. All right. So back to that that forgiveness part. So when it comes to God forgiveness and and, yeah. and and forgetting um so do you believe in hell no i don't no so why don't no. you believe in hell um because i think 
I think we do come back. I think we do have opportunities to do over. Um, Reincarnation. I think, yeah. I, I don't ah. know. That, yeah. I, I believe we come back. Oh. And I believe there are, I, I don't want to come back anymore. You know, like, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm done. I'm tired. <laughs> Leave me wherever I go. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, bring me into the new place, whatever that new place is. I don't want to come back. Right. So, but I do believe that we come back. I, I believe that, you know, we have options hmm. and choices and that when, when this journey is over, if there's still something new for us to learn, I think we come back. Right. It, is that in the Bible? Um, in a very kind of symbolic way, you'll see it across. So if you read, um, there was one particular story okay. and, um, I don't, uh, what was the story? There was the story of, there was a, there was, uh, there was a judge. What was her name? There was a judge. She was female. She told the King about this pending war um, he was to go on his own. Um, he convinced her to go. And in the end, there was the story of a man who fled and he went into the tent with a woman. And um, she, she, that's it. It's the story of Deborah. If you follow that story, what you will see is that there is a generational replay of an earlier story that happened that was like very similar. That and happens all, all the time in the Bible, though. It does. Right. So it's like these generational things that happen where it's literally four generations, three generations later, the same uh, opportunity is uh, posing itself. The first time they didn't kill him, but the, the second time they do. Right. And so uh, what I think is happening through the retelling of these stories is that there is a cycling through, whether it's a soulish cycling through or a spiritual cycling through. Huh. I believe there's a cycling through that is happening. Um, so is I don't know exactly what to call that. Um, yeah. I contradictions. I call them contradictions. They're all over the Bible. So the Jesus story itself has four different versions. Is that Jesus coming back four different times? How do you mean? Tell me that one. Well, Jesus' birth, let, let alone that one. Let's just, there's two different versions of Jesus' birth and two different gospels. The other two don't carry it. Um, Jesus is born uh, and, and has to run from uh, the evil Pharaoh in one of the stories. And the other one, yeah. he just kind of hangs out at the house. So there's two different versions. One, we have an evil king. One, we don't. One, we have magi. One, we don't. One, we have a, 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 a Jesus born in a barn. One, we have Jesus born in a house. There's two different stories. And then Jesus' death and resurrection, the resurrection, we have four different versions. How many people showed up? Who showed up? When did they show up? What did they say? What did they do? We don't know. We have different versions. What did Jesus say before he died? There's three different things. Who was next to him when he died? There's three different, four different things. We don't know. So is that what that is? That would totally makes sense though we're just recycling through jesus keeps no, coming back <laughs> no i don't think that's what that is i think there's accounts of the stories that you know fill in different gaps um and it, and i think for if you want to take it apart then you can but if you want to put it together you can also do you that can. it contradicts that. itself though you have different people showing up at the end you have different people he shows himself to well who is it who saw him first who saw him last it, it, it just it's 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 confusing and contradicting so and then even why, at the why tomb can't, why can't all of it be true because you can't have uh let's go to the tomb you can't have two angels there or yeah. or or a young boy there or a lightning there it can't be all three of those it's only one of those why jesus not? either said why this not? or he said this or he said this 
He didn't say all three of those before he died. Either you have two robbers next to him, nobody next to him, two robbers that talk to him, or two robbers that heap insults at him, or one robber heaps insults, and one robber says, I want to go to heaven with you. I mean, there's so many different things that just don't add up. Or Matthew, we've got we've got how many people, zombies coming to the cities and, and talking to people. I mean, why is that not anywhere else? That's kind of an important detail. Holy cow, you mean all these zombies came into town and started talking to people? And only Matthew has that? There's no literature outside of this Bible that says that happened. What? You mean you mean you mean like when Lazarus came out of the grave and and then when Jesus when Jesus died, the other people that came out of the grave is that what you're calling the yes doctor? yes remember why that time? How did that have happened, Michael? Like why do you need to pick it apart so much? Why can't you? Just... There's no way that happened, and nobody else wrote it down. There's no way hundreds of people came out of the grave and started talking to an entire town and nobody wrote it down except for Matthew. One person wrote it down. One person wrote it down. One person wrote it down. Do you think it happened? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Really? (laughs) Joanne, really? You think all those zombies came out of the grave, started teaching people and only Matthew wrote it down? First of all, let's call them people who were raised again from the dead. Whatever you want to call. Right? (laughs) I mean, that's what a zombie is. That's a person who came back to life. I mean, (laughs) mean, we're going to get technical here. If if you were in the tomb and you were brought back to life, I don't think you'd want to keep that cloth on you for very long. And, And then you started telling the stories and the miracles of, you know, being raised from the dead. I would sit, I would listen to you, you know, and I think that was part of the journey as well. How long have they been dead for? Did he give them new bodies or were they kind of rotting still? Because some of these guys have probably been dead for a long time. So weird. So many things to think about. See, this is why I stick to forgiveness. Because when you do forgiveness. (laughs) It is just a more straightforward. (laughs) I understand. Then when you do forgiveness, you see these things and it's like, it's powerful. It's wonderful. You know, I've had some really wonderful spiritual encounters since I started doing forgiveness. And, you know, it just makes the world come alive in a whole different way. But like I said, Michael, I don't want to come back. So I want to make sure that. (laughs) Me neither. I'm good. (laughs) I want to make sure that I get this one right. You know, that as I, as I go through, as I, as I do my forgiveness, really at the end of the day, what I want to see is that my heart is pure. Hmm that I'm focused on purpose, that I'm able to live a life with my family that is good, you know, Mm. and I I get that the Bible can be confusing for some people. And that's why, you know, I like to look at it as just a timeline and a shift. You have to see the transformational shifts in the Bible, because sometimes you focus on the nitty gritty, you really kind of lose the central point, which is God transitions too. God transitions too, right? So, If we begin with a God who loves us and who has created something that he loved and really celebrated, and somehow there was a separation from that thing, there's a longing for the return of that thing. And the human story is really an evolutionary story of mindset and understanding and wisdom. And I know we like to think that our our humanity isn't evolving to a place of peace, but I believe that we are, right? I wish we were. I hope. That's my hope. (laughs) But I. But that's, but that's why you're rough. here, Michael. But that's why you're here, right? <laughs> like you're here to like put your part of the story out. 
And then I'm here to put my part of the story mm -hmm. out, but we can still sit down together and we can have like a loving conversation that, you know, I can listen to you, you can listen to me and I appreciate you listening to me, right? Absolutely. And at the same time, we are parts of a larger puzzle in the human story and your footprint and my footprint matters equally in the telling of that story and the evolution of where we're going. And I actually think mm. that in the timeline that we have, um, there's a, a gentleman, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he talks about, oh, why can't I remember his name? But he talks about the fact that we have this cycle and mm. this pattern that is at a universal level. So I talk about the pattern at this micro individual level, this traumatic moment happens and we cycle through it for 40 years. He has this idea that we actually at a universal level are cycling through a humanitarian pattern of trauma recovery and that there's a set time frame for us as a humanity to begin to recover from our trauma. And when we get to the stage where enough of us begin to talk about peace, that is enough of us begin to say, hey, heal from the inside, bring peace to yourself, and then you'll see peace around you. If enough of us evolve into that state where we begin to talk about peace, the human trajectory into the well, space of peace actually changes. Well, if we go into our more humanistic view and everybody starts adapting that humanistic view, yes, we are going to spiral towards that. Yeah, makes sense. I love it. So this transition, though, I want to know the. Yeah. Sorry, ahead. go ahead. Uh, uh. <laughs> I want to know more about this transition of God. Now we can we can close on this because we're getting near the end here. But the the beginning, yeah. of the Old Testament to the New Testament, Old Testament yeah. God wants blood sacrifices, anything, animals, goats, even somebody's daughter at one point. So and in the New Testament transition, He only wants the blood of His Son. That's the transition I see. Bloodthirsty for everything bloodthirsty only for his son's blood at this point so is that transition is still gross it's still a horrible transition of a god that needs bloodshed in order to forgive people and we're talking about forgiveness i personally there's only one scenario or maybe a few scenarios where i think bloodshed would be helpful for forgiveness but that's just my naturalistic dad instincts coming in but <laughs> Hebrews 9:22 yes. without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness i as yeah. a loving father as a you know empathetic human being with common sense yeah. knows that's not a good thing that's not a good way to go about things that's not how we get forgiveness you've talked about different ways we can get for, to go through forgiveness yeah. that wasn't one yes. of them that's weird right so, <laughs> how, how do you feel about that Okay, so let's talk about the transition. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Garden of Eden, you know, let's just see this for what it is, right? This is about spirit hovering over us, right? Like if you no, go back, <laughs> like, no, it's, it's literally, if you go back to the Garden of Eden story and you mm -hmm. go back to the Hebrew telling of the story, the Garden of Eden story is a symbolic story about the spirit of God hovering over us. Okay. And I don't agree, but okay, go ahead. Yeah, the I, separation, I yeah, the separation of light and darkness, mm -hmm. right? The above and the below, all of those elements, light, you know, the growing of plants, all of that is representing what God can do for us and as a humanity, the creation that God has. But then there's two two stories in the beginning, as you have mentioned, there are many stories. There's yeah. a beginning that 
talks about one version of, of the garden mm -hmm. and then there's a second version if you see it replayed you'll see the second version of the garden well, and things then, are just moved around a little bit man and women are created at different times he creates animals for helping there's there's definitely differences go ahead yeah sorry right so what we know is there's these parallel stories that are at play there but then there's a period of time where we don't actually see god interact with humanity and then after that, that is when we see Moses come into play. And Moses is the one that has what we call the tabernacle experience, right? So this is the first transition point. He Abraham. Built it. Yeah. Well, uh, Moses comes in and he builds a tabernacle and, and mm. he's about five generations down from Abraham, right? Abraham was first though, wasn't he? He was the first yeah, one. Abraham, that, yeah. Abraham, he made the promises and, you know, so Moses is now his descendant huh. and now and now we're seeing Moses do something. And that's where he receives the, the footprint for the tabernacle. And that's where you see the sacrifices begin to enter, uh -huh. right? So notice that the tabernacle has three, uh, three moments in time as well. So there's what we call the entrance into the outer court. There is the flame and the sacrifice. There's a purification uh, vet or whatever. To Tons of different room. sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of them. And then there's the moving in. There's the the light and the lampstand, which represents seven uh, types of spirits and blessings. And then there's the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine. Then there's the burning of incense. Then finally going into the most holy place. All right. Transition point, King Solomon. The rebuilding of a new temple. The transition point is now shifted. And there's something else that is new. Nation level changes are happening. Go forward now to Christ. Tabernacle is us right? There's still three transition points. There's an outward, I haven't even entered the space. There's an inward now I'm moving into this place where I am going to enter a state of sacrifice. I am going to enter a state of purification. I am going to be filled by these spiritual steps and layers that fill me with wisdom and all of these wonderful things. Enter into making peace with God, Coming into a place of peace with God is where we don't argue with God about his authority, his power anymore. That's what the bread represents. The wine represents something else. The praise and all of that stuff, the anthems that go up to God. Going into the most holy place is when I sit in my time of meditation, is when I sit in that space where I connect with God on this beautiful level. This is where I experience God. This is where I am transformed into a new version of myself. Every time that I do okay. that, I experience tears and I experience this wonderful thing. So the transitions are really these moments where the sacrifice is now symbolic. The sacrifice is my daily forgiveness, right? The sacrifice is this is the way and this is the way I speak truth to myself. What do I love? What do I fear? Right? This Why did Railway change his mind on the sacrifices though? Why did he transition so many times from animals? We can go Cain and Abel's where he originally denied the fruits and vegetables. He says, ah, how dare you? And he was totally dismissed of it and, and, and it was repulsed by it. He wanted the, the, oh, the blood sacrifice. He denied the heart of the man. He denied the heart of the man. No, he ate the heart. He ate the heart of the beings. He, he, he <laughs> wanted all the blood and the meat. He wanted that. That's no, what he wanted, not he the vegetables. Wanted, he, he wanted the soft heart to come with the vegetables. And that was a hard, jealous heart that we saw in the one who killed his brother, right? That's what it was about. And there was Did you read the story, Joanne, though? Have you read of that course, story? Read okay, so story. Yahweh instigated this entire thing. It was all his fault. 
He set his brother against the other brother, brother against brother. He did that. He he denied the food. He said, I like your brother's stuff. Get your stuff out of my face. I would rather have blood and guts. It's despicable. And he knows. He said, I know I'm making you mad by doing this. So he knows he instigated the entire thing. Yahweh knows everything. He knows it's his words would heart. cause Michael, evil to do this. Michael, it's about the heart. It's and the it's heart that Yahweh created. The, the heart that Yahweh instigated, the heart that Yahweh turned angry. It's the heart that Yahweh saw that already existed that came and in he the pushed the buttons anyways. <laughs> See, Joanne, he saw the heart. He knew what that man was capable well, of, but he still pushed you, the buttons. When you see the heart of certain people, they don't have to come out and say, this is how I feel. They don't have to do certain things. You see the heart of your children, for example, and you can tell the moments when they're going to be mean, right? You can Saul. tell those uh, yeah, and then you can speak to them, right? He changed Saul's heart. Yeah, he changed Saul's heart and yeah. mind. Why? Why not Cain's or Abel's? Was it Abel who killed who? It, I can't remember now. It, it's always our choice, though, Michael. To the very end, it's our choice, right? It wasn't. It, it was not Saul's choice. Saul's choice was to continue persecuting people. That was his choice. But Yahweh stepped in and stopped him. He changed his heart. Oh. He proved himself to him. Yeah. So that was not no longer his choice. He yeah. did not have free will to be free of Yahweh's influence. I mean, <laughs> I would suggest that he did. A divine intervention is a divine intervention. Like, That's not free will, though. You could still say, "I don't, I see you, but I don't." If it's see a you. divine intervention, yeah, that's not free will. That is divinely intervening. Uh, Michael, there are are those of us who go through our lives, and I'm going to talk about the spiral effect, right? So there are those of us who go through the 40 years and we're coming to the 40th year where we really should have given up some of the stuff that we hold on to, but uh -huh. we insist, right? And because we carry these negative thoughts and these false and negative beliefs and these bodily things that are in us, some of us actually get cancer, Michael, from the incestuous thoughts that we have. We Our get thoughts cancer. cause cancer? Absolutely. Oh, Joanne, I don't know about they that. They are oh Michael, you gotta go do some research on on like cancer. Thoughts can cause cancer. Yes, Michael, it's about the toxicity of our bodies. It's about the cellular training that our thoughts do to our bodies, right? I don't know about that. That sounds very far fetched. You want to go and do some research on? I'll have to look that up. On for forgiveness sure. being used to treat cancer, Michael. Forgiveness. <laughs> that's that's. Used that's a tall tale. That's a, that's a tall one. I don't know if I can believe that one. I will I definitely look into that. Michael, you want to go do some actual reading research, of for sure. journal articles that talk about forgiveness and, and the healing of cancer. It actually is used in some places to actually treat cancer. In that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I will look Absolutely. into it for sure. But we're, we're out of time here. Go ahead and tell everybody where we can find your stuff. I'll do my research. Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> so, Michael, I've written a book. It's called 490 Forgive and Live Fairly. So you can find that on Amazon. I also have a forgiveness journal. It's called Forgive Master the Art of Letting Go. I have a website. It's called theartoflettinggo.ca. You can find me as a therapist at drjoan.ca. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and answers today. Stay safe out there. We'll keep in contact. Thank you, Michael. And that's all the show there is for you today. Thanks for listening. 
If you like what you heard and want to help keep the recording light on, simply go to patreon.com forward slash BSW the podcast and sign up to be a supporter of the show. Your episodic tithes of a dollar or more will give you access to the patron feed, unaired conversations, early access to each episode, and much more. For the latest events, BSW swag, and a peek behind the scenes, head on over to the show's ever-evolving webpage at thebiblesayswhat.com. The Bible Says What the book is out. Head on over to thebiblesayswhat.com and get yourself and your grandma a signed copy. Thanks to the cosmic powers of the internet, it is now possible to buy me a beer or coffee online. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash BSW the podcast and click the appropriate buttons. If you can't support the show monetarily, please like, share, and or leave a review. As always, you can find me at the Bible Says What Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Instagram pages. You can also reach me at bswthepodcast at gmail.com. And no matter which platform you use to listen to your podcasts, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss out on the next episode. Until then, would you kindly pick up your Bibles and read them? From in the beginning, from in the beginning to the musical apocalypse, this is the Bible says what. I'm your host, Mike Wiseman. Mike Wiseman. I will fucking fuck. In verse seven, Yahweh declares, "She shit." Fine. Or how about when Yahweh killed Onan in Genesis 38 after the dude spilled his sum 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 sum? What the first one? What the first one?